Joshua P. Warren is an investigator who pioneers the amazing relationship between the mind, energy, matter, and strange phenomena. He owns the Asheville Mystery Museum and Laboratory in North Carolina and the Bermuda Triangle Research Base in Puerto Rico. He is currently conducting research at his lab in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's the author of over 20 best-selling books, and he has appeared on numerous TV programs such as History Channel, Discovery, Nat Geo, Sci-Fi, TLC, and he travels the world investigating mysterious phenomena and made the cover of a science journal in 2004 for lab experiments regarding energy fields in nature related to the enigmatic brown mountain lights. Summer of 2018, he made international news for discovering a time anomaly north of Las Vegas, Nevada. To see his mind-blowing photos and videos glimpsing into other realms, visit his site at www.joshuapwarren.com. Wow, and this was a fun show. It was very fun because this guy so, makes you think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, and that's what this show, we kind of went down. We went into it's a good a, way to start 2019. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is our first I show. I have some extra questions that I didn't get to talk to him about. But you that's can okay, next time. Yep. Or you can email him. You can just start harassing him on social media. Yeah. Joshua, yeah. what do you think about this? Joshua, what do you think about this? <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, uh, it was a lot, a lot of fun talking to Josh. Well, it's been a long time since we talked yeah. to Josh. Uh, it was really cool to have him here. Uh, so, guys, enjoy our conversation with Joshua P. Warren. a very long time since we've talked to this gentleman uh and i'm just super excited josh thank you so much for coming and talking to us again uh joshua p warren you're here thank you for joining us and uh you know it's like i said it's been a long time since we talked to you actually we were talking before we started recording here and i think we really haven't talked in like a, in like a decade i think am i correct on that you know, that's probably about right, and uh, gosh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I mean, you've been a busy guy, and I certainly have been busy over the past 10 <laughs> years, So, uh, oh, yeah. but hey, I know we're going to talk a little bit about time warps in the, yeah. the program, and maybe uh, we're experiencing some of that, because uh, 10 years seems to go pretty fast these days, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it just it's flown by. Uh, a lot of stuff's changed, a lot of stuff's stayed the same, and it does feel kind of like that. But this is one of the things that you stumbled upon. Um, you, you found this time warp, and I think this was a, it was a, a time an anomaly also, we can call it, uh, in North Las Vegas, am I correct, in Nevada there. This is where you came across this thing. I want to hear all about this. Can you tell me all about this? Well, sure. Um, you know, I've been interested for a long time in the relationship between paranormal phenomena and time and time anomalies. I wrote about this in one of my books called The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkan. And basically, um, if you take something like, well, the experience of seeing a ghost, it obviously means that you might sometimes be glimpsing something from the past. Uh, so it's easy to understand the, t the time connection there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes to a UFO, well, you have these cases where somebody's driving down the road and uh, suddenly they see the big flying saucer and the truck stops and 
then the saucer goes away and the truck starts again, um, the driver doesn't have to turn the ignition. It's not like the engine was shut down. It's like the time pause for a moment, and then people talk about having missing time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then with cryptids, you know, somebody sees a cryptid and the thing just vanishes. Uh, sometimes in mid-pathway, the footsteps just end like this creature has just sort of teleported its its space and uh, of course space is related to time and so you see how time keeps coming up again yeah yeah so i spent many years in the bermuda triangle as the uh the owner of the bermuda triangle research base looking into time anomalies there mm. and last year i finally decided to get a part-time residence here in las vegas that's where i am right now and uh, one of the reasons is I do a lot of television work, uh, and often I find myself in the L.A. area, and frankly, I prefer not to live in L.A., so <laughs> Vegas is like, you know, four hours down the road. It's, yeah. a, it's a lot more fun, and so I've been working on a lot of projects here. Of course, Zach Bagans is here, and I did uh, his Ghost Adventures Halloween Live special and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> since I moved here, I was looking for an excuse to go to Area 51. Uh, I'd never been there before. And for those who have never really dug into the Area 51 lore, it's not like some tourist attraction. It's not like going to Disneyland. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is actually a real classified military installation. And um, they expect people to go there and nose around a little bit, but they don't like it. Uh, even though every single day, over 1,000 people load up on the jets at the airport right next to my condo here. They have a, a very special classified section of the airport called the Janet Airlines. And they take over 1,000 people up to Area 51 to work for the day, and they bring them home in time for dinner. And so a lot of people go up there who live in Vegas, but it's still very secret. So just so happens, as I was trying to figure out why I needed to go to Area 51. I was contacted by a, uh, an engineer named Ronald Heath, who is a Silicon Valley engineer. Okay. And he has been a, um, a follower of my work for a long time. He has gotten to the point where he's just now retiring, so he's getting to work on some of the fun stuff that he wanted to work on throughout his whole life. And he told me that he had created a meter for the guy who has every meter. And uh, speaking of me, uh, and he said that this is called the DT meter, which stands for the Differential Time Rate Meter. Okay. He was inspired by watching an early episode of The X-Files when Mulder takes two stopwatches, synchronizes them, leaves one at his car, walks off into the field to a UFO site, and then when he later compares the I remember two, that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me interrupt you. Yeah. I totally remember that episode, though. Yeah. Yeah. So they're out of sync, which implies, well, something happened here, which is sort of bending the space-time relationship a little bit. Yeah. So that's exactly what the DT meter does uh, in, the, in the very first user-friendly fashion. Basically, on one end, you have a meter with a, a display panel on it that has a readout of 0, 0.0000, like eight decimal places. And then that's attached to a 100-foot cable. And on the other end of that cable is a sensor. Okay. And the sensor and the meter have identical oscillating chips in them that are perfectly synchronized. You calibrate it when you turn the thing on. So what that means is it's like having two little clocks. Mm -hmm. And then there's, they're always sending a signal back and forth, and that signal is always supposed to be in sync. 
And so if that signal goes out of sync, well, you've got some kind of a time anomaly, but that's never supposed to happen. I mean, according to classic traditional classroom physics, I mean, that's not supposed to happen here on Earth over a span of 100 feet. Okay. Um, so now, he said, I, now, not to, not to interrupt, but I, I, I want to understand this because this is super interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, as far as this device, I mean, all it really is is two clocks that are connected together via cable, correct? And, th- th- I mean, that's where the, the, it's obviously to me from a technical standpoint, it's a heartbeat that kind of keeps the clocks in sync. Am I correct? I mean, oh, it, yeah. maybe some type of, I mean, in, the te- in computing terms, that's what we tend to use is either a pacemaker, we call it, or a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in clustering systems and stuff like that. And not to get too nerdy, but I mean, that's just thinking about this. How do we keep these things in sync? That's how we do this stuff, you know, in computers and stuff like that. So I'm wondering, I guess that's, and you said there's, there, I mean, these are just clocks, you said, correct? That's all they are, uh, is just clocks, right? Essentially, yeah. I mean, they, they're chips that are oscillating in sync, but, you know, that's, yeah. that's basically the same thing as a clock, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. And, that's, and, and there is this type of heartbeat in between them. And not to get too technical with it, you know, but I'm just keep very curious about that piece. And all, the, and all that connects them is this cable, correct? Yes, that's right. Just a 100-foot-long, one-eighth-inch cable. Uh, in fact, I've got... Uh, plenty of images of this and video of me using it on my website. Uh, if you go to joshuapwarren.com, yes. there's a section there called Gallery of the Strange. And when you click that, it has links to all kinds of stuff. One of them says the Vegas Interstate Time Anomaly. And if you click that, you'll find all kinds of information where you can look at this and, and see me actually using it and explaining a little bit more about it. But, you know, the, the great thing about it is it's a user-friendly way of doing this. Um, and up until now, there hasn't been any type of a device put out there on, on the market to any extent that would allow the average person to... Um, to learn to use it within, you know, five or ten minutes. I mean, uh, I was the very first person who got to take one of these into the field. Uh, he, he makes them still uh, occasionally and puts them on eBay for researchers, but um, I want to make this also very clear to everybody because I do have products and stuff on my website that I do not sell this meter. I don't have any vested interest in the meter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is – I would just use this meter – so um, Ronald Heath, the inventor, he is, um, he's a very stringent uh, engineer type, and uh, he said, look, it's really not ever supposed to pick up anything unusual. So I said, well, great, let's see. Uh, so I made plans to drive to Area 51, which is about a two-hour drive from my place here in Vegas, and spend the night nearby, and then, uh, and then take measurements along the way throughout the desert, maybe about every 15 to 20 miles I would pull over and just get out and take a measurement and uh, use it as a control type scenario. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if everything's normal and then I get up there near the base and I get some kind of weird anomaly, you know, and that's sort of what I envision might happen because over the years you've had a lot of people out there, like not least of which the controversial Bob Lazar, claiming that they are working on back engineering alien technology around Area 51 that does warp space-time and and has all these weird gravitational influences and stuff. So it seemed like a logical possibility. Um, so the odd, the odd thing is, I having I drove all the way up there to Area 51, and it was it was actually a slow process when you're you're stopping every few miles and taking readings. Yeah. Uh, a very, very desolate drive, by the way. You don't have any, any cell phone signal. 
Um, there are no gas stations. I think I passed a sign that said, next gas station, 73 miles. Wow. Yeah, so there's nothing. Man. I mean, there's nothing out there in the desert. I mean, it's it's so straight. The road in front of you, it's like it's like a drag strip or something. And um, and I, but it's also spooky because if you broke down on the side of the road mm. there, no, <laughs> would not want to do at, that. Well, you'd be at the mercy of whatever yep. you know, psycho comes along <laughs> next, right? Yeah. So, it's so there are a lot of realistic dangers to making that that trip. Um, so. At Area 51, long story as short as possible, um, we actually did not really measure too much at all that was out of the ordinary. Everything was absolutely normal with the DT meter. However, there was this one little nondescript spot on the side of the, the road out in the desert about eight miles north of an exit uh, in North Vegas where... I found this time anomaly that just, boom, it just hit out of the blue. It, and time at that spot slowed down 25 microseconds per second. So what that means in layman's terms is if you were to take a second and slice it into 100,000 pieces, mm -hmm. 25 of those slowed down momentarily. And now... This was an anomaly, okay, because I, I at first I was like, well, is there, is there some explanation for, you know, the, the, maybe the meter's malfunctioning or something like that? And what I can tell you is that I used the meter many, many, many times on that trip, and since then I've used this meter many, many times, even in thunderstorms, even in 115-degree weather, even close to freezing. Uh, I've never gotten any type of indication of a malfunction, but this is the real clincher. After I made it public that I had gotten this weird anomaly at that site, only then did I find out that that particular nondescript little spot happens to be one of the most active UFO hotspots in certainly the state, if not the country, where some of the most incredible UFO footage has been filmed, where people have had bona fide close encounters uh, I even went back out there to the spot with a guy who had had a, a close encounter right there with a huge triangular craft back in 1996, I think. And he uh, had it hovering 20 feet over his car for 10 minutes. Um, it was such a, a life-altering experience for him that he actually went out and, and had a model made of this thing, which he brought ah site with us yeah. and you can see that in one of my videos um and, and so i was sort of just you know shocked to find that uh, i had no idea that this little spot was where people were having all of these ufo encounters and now granted that whole stretch of land runs parallel to military testing grounds and installations so who knows what all is happening there but that for me gave me the first indication that it's possible that as we find more of these anomalies, we'll see that they coincide with these places where people have paranormal experiences, be they ghostly, UFO-related, psychic, ESP, uh, cryptids, you name it. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I thought, honestly, Josh, was there could be jitter with the device itself. I mean, and when I say jitter, I mean, that's, we, that's another computing term. Sometimes you have that with atomic clocks. Uh, where you have a drift issue sometimes, 
But I mean, you said, but you said this device has run accurately all the time. Am I correct? That's right. And he even sent me a, a second one. And uh, yeah, they both are very reliable. When I told Ronald Heath about this, yeah, he was his mind was blown because he said that he has had two of these things, the the first two he, he ever made, running uh, twenty four hours a day for mm. months in California, logging their data into a computer. And he said that he has never gotten any anomaly in months of doing that. And so this is, uh, now w what makes this even less amazing though, is when you start looking at the, the timeline of other things that were happening at that point, especially here in this area, it seems like that I may have been there right when some special military experiments were, were being conducted, um, which we can get into that in, in a moment. But but first, yeah. I want to point out that this is kind of interesting. Last night, I started getting messages from people saying, turn on the History Channel, turn on the History Channel. <laughs> um, and there is this show on called Vanished, yeah. which is based on David Politis's work, yeah. you know, these people vanishing in National Forest. And they did a um, an experiment where they documented a time anomaly. At uh, Mesa Verde, uh, a very similar type of thing. He got um, two or three scientists out there. Uh, in, in their case, they used a laser, and essentially what they appeared to be doing was shooting a laser across an area, and then uh, the laser would more or less hit a, a prism that would bend it and, and shoot it back, and, and there was supposed to be... Um, practically no time loss and yet they said there was a significant time loss at this one area so basically they were saying the same thing that they discovered this time anomaly and may severity so i discovered this anomaly in north vegas um in june of last year and as soon as i started talking about this the media contacted me and this story got picked up. Uh, the local Fox News station covered it. And before you knew it, it, it went all over the world. I mean, it was uh, Newsweek, uh, the Drudge Report. Uh, it was, you know, all the, all the big ones, CBS, ABC, NBC. Uh, I started getting calls from media in Russia and China and, I mean, all over the place. Uh, this thing went viral. And at that time, there were a lot of people who were contacting me who were very critical saying, oh, well, come on, you know, this can't happen in that span of, of space, you know, and, and you're just a paranormal guy and you're just trying to sell stuff on your website <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know. But, yeah. and, and, but I said, look, it's, I don't think it's that amazing to believe that these kind of subtle anomalies exist all over the place. We just haven't been out there looking for them. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I was like, you just wait. You just wait and see. We're going to find probably in 10 years, this is not going to be that uh, unusual of a, of, a, of a finding, you know. And so to see that on the History Channel last night was like, yep, here we go. I told everybody, you know, like I, I may have been the first person to go out there and popularize this, this kind of topic last year. But uh, I certainly am just the beginning. I, I'm sure of that. Well, yeah. And I mean, these subtleties are what this whole field, and at least in my opinion, I mean, of all these years of research that we have behind us, we've always been preaching that idea that, you know, you have to be watching out for the subtle things. You're not going to have, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for ghosts, let's say, we, we both know, Josh, that you're not going to walk into a place and have a ghost jump out in front of you and say, hi, I'm a ghost and you can take a picture of me. 
It, it just it simply doesn't work like that. Historically, we've learned that that isn't how that isn't the case. It's these subtleties, I think, in nature and in space and time uh, that we need to be paying attention to. And yeah, you said one. Um, I forgot the the number now on on the on the DT meter exactly, but it was one one. I'm sorry. Give me the number again, Josh. I got I got the memory of a goldfish. As far sure. as that subtlety, go ahead. It was uh, 25 microseconds per second. Okay, so that's very, very, very subtle. <laughs> We're talking really subtle, right? Yeah. But it's yes. a subtlety, though, and these are what you need to be paying attention to. In, in you know, in greater science and hard sciences, right? This is what you know what statistics are being looked at. They're looking at subtleties and statistics to try to understand things, right? Uh, so this is the same idea. By you going out there and, and, you know, recognizing such a subtle number, right, that's where, as you've kind of already alluded to, that's how you get started with, you know, going down these, these pathways to ideas and what, this, what, what the potential this could be, too, right? Oh, sure. Well, you know, if you think about the human brain, I mean, it ultimately operates in a very subtle way. I mean, we're talking about the idea of subatomic particles that are sort of uh, within these fiery dynamic synopses that are bouncing around. And it may be that if you walk into one of these time anomalies, even if it's less than a second, maybe that explains deja vu. Uh, where all of a sudden, you know, you have this moment where you sort of encounter this mental time travel that maybe it just takes you back a second or two. Yeah. Uh, but it's enough for you to be aware of, and and so you can imagine uh, if that can happen in a more dramatic way, there may be times when a, a person is able to literally see uh, something far in the past, in the distant past which would, of course, be considered a, a ghostly or otherworldly experience. Yeah. I mean, a good example for me, I mean, that I was thinking of while we were talking about this, uh, and, it, you know, it could just be attributed to daydreaming, but I've had this happen while I'm driving, which maybe this, this is probably the last place this should be happening, to be honest with you. But I've had this on road, you know, on trips, or maybe even, like, shorter or long road trips. Maybe I'm just driving to work. Um, I'll, you know, I'll go, I'll just be driving along, and... It just happens sometimes. Like, I'm like, oh, how the heck did I get here so fast? Right? Now, again, this, this could very well be going into, like, just muscle memory. Like, if you're driving the same place every day, you don't really need to think about it anymore. And sometimes you just fall into that spot. Why are you shaking your head at Amber? No, I, I agree. I just think it's daydreaming. I mean, Well, that's just, what I said. You Maybe. have the same thing when you're, like, doing something that's super fun and the time guys goes by so much faster because you're not miserable and focusing on the time. But what if you are miserable and focusing on it that? Goes time? I've been on I've been on road trips then like that it, where I'm like, oh, this car. But I've had times where it's been like, and you know, again, maybe I am falling. We're going off the path here, but I've noticed that sometimes, not even just driving. That's just one example I'm throwing out there. Um, just certain times where I just zone out and come back, and I'm like. Oh my God! Where, where did that ten, fifteen, twenty? <laughs> lost minutes time. Go? I lost time. I, I lost time. It's what we're talking about here. Um, so I mean, I don't know if it's if like, what this sounds like to me, Josh, is this is attributing to location, geography, things like that, right? It sounds like there's just certain places we go to, such as what you were working with with the DT meter, where there may be, you know, and I mean, this begs the question, I guess, too. Um, is this, is this a force of nature, I guess? Could this be a force of nature? Or could this be something that's man-made? Or could this be something that's possibly made somewhere else? I, don't, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think that 
in the same way we have cosmic weather and atmospheric weather, we have what you might even think of as interdimensional weather, interdimensional turbulence that, you know, all of these strange forces, including the flexibility of space-time, are connected in some way, and we may not see all the connections yet, but they certainly are, and that we will find that there are times where certain places on the planet have a tendency to create these these ripples, these sort of little jarring currents, tides in space-time naturally. But that doesn't mean that we also cannot possibly do this artificially. Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, I, I want to read a, a very uh, brief timeline for you here of some of the events around my discovery of this time warp. Okay. Um, in December of 2017, of course, that's when the Pentagon announced ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, where they admitted that they were back engineering some type of UFO technology right here in the Las Vegas area. Mm -hmm. In early June, NASA announced that they had found complex organic material on Mars. On June 18th of 2018, that's when I discovered the time warp anomaly that day. And also that very same night is when President Trump announced the formation of the Space Force. That was interesting timing. <laughs> uh, on July 25th, NASA announced that there was an underground lake on Mars. Also, that very same day, George Knapp released an interesting letter that Senator Harry Reid had written in 2009. Now, keep in mind, the Pentagon said that the back engineering project was being done in large part here in Las Vegas by Robert Bigelow Aerospace. And now we have this letter, which was broken and released by George Knapp, who was a Las Vegas investigative journalist, about... Uh, or, a, or a letter written by Senator Harry Reid, who was the Nevada um, senator, in which he writes, and I've got a copy of this letter in front of me. You can also find it on my website. He writes to the Secretary of Defense that uh, this program, he says, uh, has had such progress, much progress has been made with the identification of several highly sensitive, unconventional aerospace-related findings Given the likelihood these technologies will be applied to future systems involving spaceflight, weapons, communications, and propulsion, the standard management and safeguarding procedures is not sufficient. So he's asking for more security. Then he goes on to say, associated exotic technologies likely involve extremely sophisticated concepts within the world of quantum mechanics, nuclear science, electromagnetic theory, gravitics, thermodynamics, given that all of these have the potential to be used with catastrophic effects by our adversaries, an unusually high degree of operational security is required. Now, what's really interesting about this is yeah. that he's saying we found this, we discovered this, meaning that it didn't come from us, but he's saying if this falls into the hands of our adversaries, it'll be catastrophic. So he's saying it didn't come from them. Uh, he uses the word exotic. Okay, and then there's a whole list of topics that they are uh, they've been researching, such as uh, invisibility cloaking, wormholes, gravity communication, warp drives, brain machine interfaces, uh, quantum entanglement communication, ultra capacitors, negative mass propulsion. I mean, this is all official. This is verified, validated. So that came out on July 25th, and 
this is the last thing I'll put in my little timeline here. And then the next month, August of 2018, it, it was announced in all the mainstream media that in June, which is when I got my reading there, the Air Force dropped a new type of Earth-penetrating nuclear gravity bomb from a B-2 at Nellis Air Force Base, which was right beside the Time Warp location. And all throughout June, they had been experimenting with this new type of technology, and they still are not saying very much about it or what it does or how it works. So the point I make is, I believe... There are places where this kind of anomaly naturally occurs, like probably what we saw here in the History Channel program, and, and probably the military is drawn to a lot of those places to do their own research because odd things are happening. But I also think that they can be created by humans, and it's possible that the one that I measured that particular day may have been the product of a man-made experiment that was happening at that Air Force base. So, in other words, I think it goes both ways. It's like yeah. saying we have natural lightning out there, but that doesn't mean I can't break out my Van de Graaff electrostatic generator <laughs> and create a little bit of my own. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you with that. I mean, I, I think this may be a natural occurring force in nature. However, what I'm concerned about is if it's being reproduced artificially. It's being simulated, right, or synthetically being done. I'm wondering what the negative effects could be as a result of that. Um, History has proven to us over and over again that when we start messing around with the forces of nature in that, in that aspect, it can have negative consequences. I'm wondering if anybody's thought about that. I mean, and again, this is a lot of this stuff. I mean, it sounds like it is relatively top secret, but I'm, that's one of the things that concerns me, Josh, is just the negative effects it may have <laughs> playing around nature. You, you follow what I'm saying? Oh, sure, sure. Well, I, you know, I've thought about this as well. And, in fact, right now I am working on some of my own experiments to see if I can create a time anomaly artificially. So I'm guilty of doing this myself. But, <laughs> um, but having done this, I thought about what would that mean exactly. And so, for example... Here's one of the experiments that I'm working on literally as we speak. I've been working on it for a few days now. Um, all of the mainstream physicists tell us that gravity slash space-time affects light. Uh, it's almost like it bends it in, in a way. There's a lensing effect. Yes. Well, if that's the case, then it, it should work the other way. Light should be able to affect gravity slash space-time. Um, similar to that relationship between electricity and magnetism. And so what I'm doing right now is uh, using very large coils of fiber optic cable. I have one that's about 8,500 feet, for example, and uh, shooting high-powered lasers through it in different configurations to see if having a coil of light, which is similar to, think of a Tesla coil made of light, basically, yeah. um, to see if that will actually make the DT meter deviate. Um, so far, I have not had any conclusive results, but I still have a lot more work and a lot, uh, many more techniques to, to produce. But I thought to myself, okay, let's say if I succeeded with this, and let's say I were able to slow down time by one second. Well, if I could do that, then that means that, well, if you can slow it down by a second, then hell, you can slow it down by a year. You just need a bigger operation. Yeah. But the problem is, you're only going to be able to slow it down and go back to the point when the machine was initiated. 
So I don't I don't see how you could go back a thousand years, for example, and, and see what happened. Um, ah. And so, yeah, because you're only, yeah, if you're slowing it down, well, what are you slowing it down back to? You're slowing it down back to the point when you were able to start affecting it. That's the only time you can go back to is when you turn the machine on or when that's, the machine was conceptualized, it seems like. I guess if, that's the idea. With this kind of a design, that's that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. So that may be why the time travel is possible, but we're wondering, well, where are all the time travelers at? And, um, and of course, you know, who knows? Maybe there are a few sprinkled around here or there. I, I doubt it, but uh, you never can tell. It's It could be that, well, we're going to have time travelers all over the place when the day comes that we actually create the first consistently operational time machine. But up until then, we're not going to see them. So this this is really kind of bothering me now. I mean, <laughs> no, and it's in a good way, though. It's But it's bo- – I mean, this this is – it's disturbing me because I've always thought of time travel just simple, just as simple as that. Like we build a machine. We've heard of, I've heard of millions of different theories on how you know time travel happens. Well, you, and you can, I've heard ideas where you you can you know you can only go backwards, or maybe you can only go forwards, or if you go backwards to a certain point, you cannot go back to that certain point again. There's a lot of ways to go about it, but this idea to me. It's it, it's not, and that's not to say that this isn't fascinating in its own right. But it seems like it's very limited, though, Josh. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. in, in the in this construct, yeah. Uh, but it's very limit. It's very limited. You can only do so much with it. You can only go back to a very short time. Because I mean, I imagine if you build a time machine. I mean, let's not call this a time machine. You have this device put in place, like we were talking about, Josh. I mean, uh-huh. you're going to build it, and I don't think you're going to waste much time turning it on and seeing if it's going to work or not, right? I don't think you're going to, like, build this. If you don't know the knowledge that we're talking, if you don't know what we're talking about right now, right, you you build the thing. Of course you're going to turn it on as fast as you can, but you can only go back to, what, maybe 10 minutes after you turn the thing on? You, you follow what I'm saying? Am but I making again, sense here? It, it, it might be even limited would... now, but yeah. later on, it won't be so limited because then the Yeah, like 20 exists, years from now. And then... Oh, you could talk to your future well, yeah. great-great-grandchild and be like, hey. So you sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I mean, that's basically what you're doing. You're sitting on it. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. It, it brings me back to, and, and that's a, a very good point there. I, I, I'm uh, Unfortunately, I can't tell if Amber or Sarah is speaking. It was but, Sarah. Sarah. Sarah was talking. <laughs> okay, well, well, good point, Sarah, because, you know, you – you have to start somewhere with this. And exactly. as Einstein said so famously, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research. <laughs> and so it could be that using this particular technique that we have that limitation. But once we are able to start understanding in general how to get a handle on manipulating space-time, well, then we may have another light bulb that goes off. And we mm-hmm. say, okay, well, th- now we understand. This is how you create a wormhole, you know. Because once you have a wormhole, yeah. Well, now you should be able to go back wherever you want to, theoretically. And that, I think that's more of what you're talking about. That's more of what most of us think of. When we think of time and travel, yeah. When you think of time travel, you think of being able to go wherever you want. Yeah. And uh, and in fact, that if that is possible, then it is already they're already here. You know, I mean, um, I, I again, I wrote about this in one of my books, and I talked about what I called the paratemporal loop hypothesis. And the hypothesis is based upon the the idea that if ever, 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 ever in the whole infinite future, 
any species of being is going to figure out how to travel back in time, they will do it. That's the crux of the hypothesis. And so, but if they can figure out how to do it, well, then they're not going to be the only ones. And so you're going to have multiple loops of different types of species and cultures and societies from the future who are all coming back to the past. And every single time one comes back, it's changing the timeline a little bit. Thank you. Or the yeah. future. And which may be where we get stuff that people now call like the Mandela yeah. effect or, you know, the, the dead celebrities phenomenon or one day a celebrity's dead in the news and the next day the celebrity's alive. And you're like, what happened here, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it could be because every single time one of these things comes back, uh, it shifts uh, through butterfly effect, you know, all, all these variables in our timeline, which could also explain why some paranormal phenomena is so mysterious. Maybe one minute Bigfoot exists and the next minute he doesn't, and then the next minute he's back again. Uh, there may be certain creatures and technologies and phenomena that are just on the boundaries as is of the human experience. And so when a subtle shift is made one way or another, those things kind of uh, slip in and out of our ability to uh, experience them. And so this goes back to, Scott, what I think is, is part of your, your worry then, that, <laughs> uh, okay, who's policing all this? Yeah. And uh, maybe that's what the men in black are. Maybe the men in black are the police who travel the timelines and try to keep all this in order. And I can go into that if you'd like, but I, that, that's, that's a nutshell. It, would it, be make, a good well, topic. it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I mean, we have air traffic control for, for a reason. Yeah, because you know you have commercial flights, you have military flights going on, you have private flights, people with their own planes, whatever they may be out there, and obviously you have to have an over overguiding body to regulate the skies, because as we know, bad things would happen. Well, it's not just the skies, though. I mean, any type of travel, even roads. Well, yeah, I know. Or I'm anything, just using I'm just using the skies as an example. Yeah, I'm using the skies as an example. So it don't surprise me at all, Josh, to think that. You know, and let's talk about the men in black here, because um, it seems to me and I know the men in black, obviously, they always have this negative connotation that follows them. Right. Uh, well, they're the men in black. They're, they're chasing people around. They're the evil, the evil government type thing. Uh, but I, where I think we're going with this, um, they may just be like another governing body or overseeing body to say, OK, look, you know, we're dealing with forces of nature and things here that can cause a lot of damage, could cause, you know, could have catastrophic repercussions on things if we don't regulate these things. Am I on the right path with this, Josh? Yes, and of course, there's nothing new about people not liking government organizations. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, um, but here, see, I, I think maybe the key to understanding how the men in black relates to this is by looking at the way they dress and behave. So let's. Well, I started with this fundamental question when I started looking into this, which was okay. At least going into the 20th century, you know, the 1900s, why did these guys always seem to wear black? What's the point? Why would you do that? And then it occurred to me that for a man to wear a black suit with a black hat, uh, that would be the most convenient outfit that would allow you to cover the largest period of time in the 20th century without looking completely out of place. So, for example, if you get up 
in the morning and you're, you're getting ready to go to work and you're like, okay, eight o'clock, I got to be a 1952 <laughs> at one o'clock. I got to be a 1983, yeah. you know, it's, and then I got to be a 1997 at four o'clock and you don't want to have to be changing clothes constantly. You want to come up with an outfit that may not fit perfectly into any of those, but will get you by enough so that you can travel around without having to be changing clothes all days, yeah. all day. And so if you look at – and then I know this is a very mundane yet very practical way of looking at this. It's possible that you could take any period of human history – certain parts of the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, at a certain spot on planet Earth and say, okay, what wardrobe could an agent use to get by for the longest period possible without having to change costumes? And by doing that, you could probably predict what the men in black of that era would be wearing. So the Probably the, 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 the men in black with the black suits and the black hats, that's probably just a 20th century outfit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, And I don't think anybody's ever really necessarily sat down and, and, and tried to figure out. You'd have to have a lot of fashion and, and history sense to figure out what the, the most likely outfit would be back in time. Yeah. Well, but, even uh, with but, the seven, like 1800s and early 1900s, I mean, every pretty much every man with a high status – would have a black suit. Well, what's interesting about that, though, with the fashion and the men in black fashion, is that we always talk about the men in black, not the women in black. And if you think about fashion in general, men's fashion has not changed for no, centuries. Women's fashion changes sometimes almost weekly. So yeah. you could not have a woman coming in and, like, your outfits would have to change all the time. I mean, it sounds sexist. Like, we can't have women in black. It's only men in black because they don't change their <laughs> outfits ever. But I'm it's sure. interesting they, to think that. There are some outfits that women probably have that are more business uh, attire that would actually match with well, early yeah, 1900s. Not to like the 80s. Uh, but, si- <laughs> but, but simply well, put. I'd say maybe 50s, The power suit. Yeah. When women started working professional jobs, they would have the blazer yeah, and maybe, the nice slacks but, or the skirt, which, which some women could get away with yeah. that, but it depends on the decade. Yeah. Well, simply put, and as you were talking about this, Josh, I was thinking about this, and Amber, you just kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Men's fashion, I mean, literally, I mean, a, a black, you know, the men in black, the black jacket, you know, the black blazer, the black pants with the white shirt, black yep. tie. Classic. Um, you can go back to the 40s yeah. and 50s, yeah. 30s. Like Joshua said, no one's going to look at you weird. No, even no. The I mean, yeah, even the 1800s. But suits. even the style of clothing, too. Like, I wouldn't be as far, I mean... I, Okay, the 70s got a little weird. <laughs> but, but, um, but, I mean, really, that style of dress, I mean, you know, just regular pants, cut pants, I mean, that hasn't really changed all that much, even to today's standards, right? So that's very interesting, Josh. Yeah, I never, I never thought I never about, thought that. about no. that. No. <laughs> that's so trippy, Josh. I like I, that. Yeah. Well, sometimes you have to look at these things from, uh, again, a, a sort of mundane point of view and, and think like and, – and by the way, I don't even know if the men in black are actually humans for one thing. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I, they could be a whole different type of species. Uh, sometimes people say that they behave in uh, a very awkward manner that doesn't seem to fit in. You know, that's why they don't like to be noticed too much. 
Um, of course, John Kill wrote about some of these great stories in the Mothman prophecies where people would talk about like one of these men in black strolling into Point Pleasant, West Virginia, going into a diner, sitting down and ordering some jello and then trying to suck it through a straw, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, Challenge. It, <laughs> And, and, yeah. and so so you know they have these awkward behaviors and so but the idea is that maybe there is some body or some bodies out there that is indeed trying to keep all this intact and and put it together and yeah. that would be the natural repercussion and you know what's funny is that all these things that we're talking about right now they still kind of sound like sci-fi but they're becoming more and more plausible every single day you know it's it's <laughs> this is actually where we we have a lot of people now in the mainstream scientific community who would say yeah these what these guys are talking about is possible oh yeah that reminds me me and amber were talking earlier like how far science and our technology has come along because now we have self-driving cars and that would probably never have been thought of like 40 50 years well ago. i mean yeah i mean it's from a technological standpoint it would it would have thought to have been absurd absurd 30 or well, yeah. 40 50 years ago i mean i mean the fact that we can look at our we have devices we can stare at and look at each other's faces and talk to each other in real time i thought that was absurd when like 20 years ago only, i have a computer in my pocket yeah i mean so from a technological standpoint yeah uh but i mean as far as what josh is saying um i think things are becoming more and more bizarre <laughs> as we the, the longer we travel down this path as a species i think we're mm-hmm. we're seeing more and more things uh, we're hearing about more and more things. I mean, Josh, let's think about this for a second. Um, did you did you ever think in our lives that we would, you know, like as you were talking about in late 2017, that there'd be some type of disclosure saying, yeah, we have been backward engineering, well, let, let's call it exotic technology. We, I mean, we, we've been told this. You, this has been this has been divulged to us as a spe- well, at least in the U.S. That yeah, there has been some type of backwards engineering going on. Did you ever think that we'd ever experience that in our lifetimes? I thought it was very very doubtful because um, you, you see, here's the thing that shocked me the most. This story still has not gotten the media coverage that it deserves, and and that's weird to me. Yeah, and I believe I agree. that does show you that. You know, like it or not, I believe our mainstream media is very, very corporately controlled. Oh, now, yes. Yeah. And, and so you know, this, this story should be out there uh, on a much bigger level. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is disclosure. I mean, they even put video footage out there from fighter jets, you know, showing these UFOs that they can't explain. I mean, what more do we want them to do other than show us a body but you don't really even need to see the body if you just look at the other material they're giving us they're telling us like yeah we have a lot of this stuff and it's secret um and so uh i think sometimes like going back to how technology relates to say our point in history and time travel if all of a sudden all four of us got just sucked into some kind of a spontaneous wormhole that opened up right now and we find ourselves back 1,000 years ago. Um, well, obviously, if we survived any length of time, who knows how we would be perceived, uh, we would try to explain to people that we're from the future, perhaps. And they would say, well, give me some proof. Well, uh, he's, oh, I have a cell phone, you know. So no you pull your signal. cell phone out. And for one thing, you're not going to have a cell phone signal. 
Um, it's who knows whether or not your phone would still function after going through the wormhole. But let's say it does function. So if that phone does function, you're going to have until your battery runs down to show people uh, what you've got. And then when that battery's run down, well, you have nothing other than their word for it because no, there's no way to record it's that. Useless. You can film yeah. it. Now you have a, yeah, a very strange-looking object that looks interesting but doesn't do anything that you can prove. So, and so this phone is not going to operate or, pr or provide any sort of value for you out of context and out of its own place and time. And I believe that we have a, a similar situation here where we have objects that come from other places. Sometimes they even come from the past. Sometimes they probably come from the future. And uh, we can't wrap our heads around how they work because uh, we're just not collectively there yet. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, because when you mentioned wormhole and then the phone technology, considering you're going back in a time, I wonder if your battery discharges all the way back to zero, hmm. even if it was at 100%. Who's to say? Well, that'd be funny. I've often had this, this hilarious thought. It's, in, it's, it's what you're talking about here, Josh. Maybe think about this. If you were to go back to like the Old West, like just you know, 100, 150 years ago, like if, let, let's just say like you were able to like time travel with your vehicle, like your car, like any standard car, like nothing fancy, like my little car that I have. Right. And you were able to take that back to, you know, the Wild West and stuff like that when there was obviously no vehicles. Um, and just aside, aside from that, but just this thought process like we were talking about with with our with our smartphones now. I mean, if you're a person living in that era. And this person's come to you and showed you this device, whether it works or not, whether it can do stuff and, you know, the screen works and whatnot, it can do stuff for you. Still, that would seem very odd if you were a person living in that in that era. Like, yeah, you have this, like you said, this very interesting looking device. But to me, that would still if I was a person living at that time, at least I'd like to put myself in their shoes. I'd be like, well, where the hell did this thing come from? I've never seen anything like this. This this looks like alien technology to me. When it's nothing more than, you know, the obviously stuff from, you know, our our present now. Uh, and the same thing with vehicles. I always often thought, you know, the time, like you know, actual travel, you know, and, and you know, on the prairie, let's say back in the time. I mean, when they had to travel a couple hundred miles, you're talking a couple of months. That's a brutal. It's a brutal trip. People died. Where you know, obviously, we hop in a car now. We can be, we can do 200 miles in a couple of hours. Well, I mean, well, at least I can do 200 miles in a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but you, if you were to take someone from that era and say, well, here, check out my car. I got this much gas to drive around with petrol. Um, we're going to get in this car and we're going to drive. And you put them in that car and you take the car from zero to 55 miles an hour in a couple of seconds. You'd probably give that person a heart attack. Because they're not used, to, they wouldn't be used to that kind of speed. They wouldn't be used to that kind of expi like an experience like that. Um, it seems like they would just it would just blow their heart right out of their chest. Or just be having the time of their life. Oh, they'd be having a ride. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but it just there's. All right, I'm bringing back. If I go back, I'm bringing a 1970 Chevy Nova. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, there's there is all this weirdness that we're talking about. Where yeah, if you were able to, here that I'm from the fun. future, and here's the proof. Well, if if you did that though, and you actually prove for somebody that you had this amazing machine, then they would go out and they would tell everybody about it. And what's going to happen is yeah. 
the most the most wealthy, powerful person out there is going to bully his or her way over to that thing and confiscate it. And that's why you don't see stuff like the Ark of the Covenant around anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you, you, know, completely com- you would completely change all of history with the timelines that everything was made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so you must consider, again, the realistic consequences in a day and age when there is no mass media. So it, word travels you know, slowly. Um, unlike now, I mean, if you have a machine now, you can jump on the Internet and tell everybody about it and, and the cat's out of the bag. But back then, you know, word would travel very slowly. And if you had something that enough people actually believed in, then eventually the powers out there that were obviously open to superstition and whatever else you want to call it would say, well, I didn't give me this powerful thing. And um, so that's why probably we do have, to a certain extent, uh, maybe elite groups throughout history that have have taken these objects. I mean, look at what the Nazis were doing. It's no, uh, it's no myth that they actually were obsessed with finding things like the Spear of Destiny. Um, and so uh, there may be archives out there where some of these things are, are being studied, and maybe that is the root of our modern milita- uh, military power today. But, you know, what's funny is we just got in talking about um... – Amazing discoveries we've seen in the last couple of years only. Uh, amazing things. And what you just said a few minutes ago where, yeah, we can get on the Internet and we can, we can broadcast this idea to millions of people. But I find it really interesting. And I, I wanted to comment on this a couple minutes ago, though, too. We have heard a lot of stories disclosure as we said a few minutes ago like literally full-blown disclosure like yep there are ufos and we're backwards engineering this stuff uh and it was pointed out like why hasn't this story grown bigger legs than it has now why do these stories I, I not think people still don't take it seriously they still like little is that green... why but I is that so. why is that why even people even... were trained to not take it seriously well we've been taught that throughout the, the the decades that it's just you know oh it's you know starts with weather balloons and just it's I don't know. It's even though that was the New York Times that wrote that piece, and like Joshua said, like That's legit. I, I know, and I kept wondering, like I, I know a few others picked that story up afterwards and everything, and then it kind of was like, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's wild. Well, I, I, but I'm wondering because we did say that you know I'm convinced also, Josh, that yeah, a lot of our media, whether it be internet, terrestrial radio, TV, it's all owned by. And I know it's easy to say that, but I do think I, I think it's it's all owned by just a small amount of people that want to control media, right? And yes. I'm not saying that like people are trying to totally snuff out the idea that UFOs exist. And frankly, in my opinion, I hate to be so so curt about it, but I think you have to be out of your mind to not believe that you know there are if you to believe that there aren't any any UFOs or any type of thing that's visiting this planet. I think at this, in this day and age, you have to be out of your mind not to believe it. Um, and, but I do find it very curious that these stories, and it's not, this isn't the first one, the one that you talked about, Josh, that I've seen this happen to. I've seen a lot of stories come down the pipe from legitimate news sources that just, and I read them, and I go, well, that's fascinating. Well, I'm going to share that on Facebook or something. Uh, and that's about as far as it goes. I don't hear yeah. anything else. And, it, and it's curious to me why... Are these stories not going as viral as we think they would go? Uh, and that, that just, it's not really much more, really a question. It's more of a comment. Um, but it disturbs me also. 
Like, why are we not seeing more circulation of these stories? When, 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 some, when one of the Kardashians does something ridiculous, they make a Christmas card for somebody. Oh, my God, people are up in arms about that. Instagram's going crazy. Twitter's going crazy. But when somebody comes and says, yeah, well, aliens exist. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is one of the great questions to me. It's, a, it's one of the great questions. Are we alone in the universe? It's one of the great questions we have as a curious species. And you'd think people would be a little bit more concerned about it, but they don't seem to be. And that bothers me. Yeah, it is very mysterious. It may have to do with the fact that um, something so extraordinary can only be experienced in person, you know, for for it to set in. I mean, maybe... Maybe people have gotten so numb to the idea of aliens that they're they're going to actually have to see one or have a personal experience yeah. for it, for it to break through. I mean, I I, I can relate to that. Um, I because I've gotten out there in the field and I have had some of my own personal experiences and it makes a big impact on you. I've never seen an alien uh, that I'm aware of. I mean, I've been to Walmart plenty of times, so you know, <laughs> but. You know, I have definitely seen craft that I think could be otherworldly or extraterrestrial craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is an odd thing. And, uh, of course, we see that one of the downsides of this explosion of social media is that it's making people more and more self-centered. Uh, and so maybe it's just a matter of uh, people being too preoccupied with with themselves uh, versus thinking about their relationship to what else exists in the universe. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question. Yeah. I think, I think one of the big questions you hear from social media would is, you know, let's say this article comes across somebody's, you know, Facebook or whatever heck it is. And okay. Aliens exist. Disclosures here. We're doing this kind of work. And I think the question a lot of people asked, Uh, themselves now is well how does this relate to me how does it affect Mm -hmm. me yeah in the and and not even in the long term how does it affect me now because i think we as a society we've been saying this for so long now we i believe we as a society our 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 scope of our you know our our of course i'm getting i'm I'm forgetting words of course but um you know our just our fourth our foresight on things looking ahead we don't have that long of a range as not as long of a range as we used to have i think right so i think when you do see stories like this that's the problem with social media especially so i think that's if, i don't think i'm wrong by saying that's going to be that may be the number one source of news transmissions now in the world today uh is i don't think it's it's a matter of well how does it affect me how does it affect my universe? Is it going to change anything for me? Uh, and I think that's how a lot of people approach this stuff now. And really, I mean, it, let's just think about this. This story that we were talking, that, that we're kind of focusing around, this was announced in late 2017, right, Josh? So, um, what is that really? What has it done for the world? I mean, what has it done for the world around us, Josh? What do you think? If I may ask you, what do you think? What changes have you think? Do you think have been have happened as a result of this? I mean, as a result of this story, let's say, right? Well, I, you know, as a result of the story, um, I certainly don't think that there is anything substantial that has changed other than people who already yeah. had put two and two together feeling that they are sort of vindicated to a greater degree. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that I have brought this up to one single person who has uh, looked at me and said, wow, I believe that now. Oh, thank you. You know, like, <laughs> it, it hasn't changed. 
changed <laughs> anything for them. No. Um, but yeah, for, for those of us who already were interested, it kind of verified and validated what we already kind of sensed was there. And it could be that this just shows you how successful that the disclosure plan was. Because, you know, when, when Orson Welles did his famous War of the Worlds broadcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was uh, in the 1930s, of course, uh, a lot of people panicked. And so you always have folks use that as a, as a, re a reference point for why the, this stuff would be suppressed. And so the idea would be like, well, maybe if we sort of ease people into this over about 100 years, yeah, then when it finally comes out, nobody will care anymore. They'll just be used to it. They'll be sort of numb to it and be like, duh, we, we knew that all along. And so maybe that's what we're seeing is this enormous success of this PSYOPs program that's been going on since certainly World War II or thereabouts. Um, and we're actually getting kind of close to that 100-year mark. And so, the, you know, sure enough, by, by 19 or, or by 2040, uh, if they, you know, reel a few bodies out there on, on CNN, it, it's not going to be a, a big deal at all. So maybe that's what we're seeing as well. And this is what we've always said about And I this. do see that because, I mean, in the last 10 to maybe 12, 15 years, yeah. the whole alien uh, conversation has picked up greatly on TVs and like different well, modes, shows, yeah, yeah different TV modes of entertainment, yeah, which, um, like Ancient Aliens, definitely helped with that. Um, uh, and then there was other things that it's also become a social meme too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ancient Aliens and things like that. I mean, TV shows like that. Um, what I think the idea here really is, and we've said we said this 15, 16, 17 years ago on this show when we were first starting out. That was Doug and I discussed that idea, and we said this very idea that you said too, Josh, uh, we think that they were just going to trickle this information out a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. You build a mountain, you know, you build a mountain out of salt, uh, you know, grains of salt. And when you finally do get to what we're talking about here, Josh, yeah, I agree with you. We're not, I mean, I'm not surprised because I believe this stuff. I believe this is going on. I've been very clear about that. But I think other people who are just being spoon-fed a little bit of information, a little bit more, a little bit more, when we finally get to the point where we're, we have a mountain built, well, it don't really surprise anybody. You're desensitized. You're numb to it at that point, I think. Um, I mean, is that a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, maybe it does, because I have said, too, about this. Well, if you're numb, it doesn't create hysteria. That's exactly what I was going to say. I've said this before, too, in the past. If, you know, if somebody was, uh, yeah, like if, if the president was to come on TV, whatever president we have at that time, uh, and they say, here's the deal. I want you to meet Vachnar of Planet Blah Blah Blah, right? Um, here he is right here, and he, and this I mean, whatever being it may be, I don't want to describe it in any certain way, comes on there and says, hi, my name's Vachnar of so-and-so <laughs> planet. I, I think that might freak a few people out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I mean, I, if, you, if it's 100% verified, it's legit, I, and it's not, oh, this, oh, this is obviously some studio. They, they dress some guy up in a suit. I mean, we can verify 100% that this is a real alien, I guess. Um, I think that may freak people out a little bit. I, I don't know if that was something that was it, it's a drastic change, I think, that I don't think people I don't think societies can handle that type of aggressive change. I don't know. Part of me thinks that they might actually still want people to have a doubt in what they're looking at if that were to happen. 
What do you think, Josh? Well, you know, people are always trying to overthrow power. It doesn't matter who's in charge. I mean, uh, they're they're always saying, you know, let's let's uh, impeach this person, let's vote this person out, let's yeah. uh, <laughs> have a coup d'état. They're always the looking the for a, yeah. for a higher power, right? And so, if all of a sudden, oh, we have this advanced alien there, well, then everybody's going to forget about who's supposed to be this in charge, this measly Earthling, and they're going to focus on the alien guy. And uh, so that probably uh, could create um, a very dangerous scenario because what if this alien guy that everybody starts looking to with as this godlike being, uh, he, maybe he doesn't have our best interests in mind. Uh, it's kind of like the Twilight Zone episode of To Serve Man, right, where it turns out they, you know, they come, come to Earth and they have this book says To Serve Man about how they're going to help everybody else out, and then they find out at the end that this is a cookbook. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, so I can see why you're opening up um, an unknown Pandora's box there when you acknowledge that there is some type of uh, even a representative of a civilization which is more advanced and powerful than humans are. You lose your control over the humans. And so um, I, I think that the only way that we're ever probably going to get a blatant disclosure along those lines is if the aliens themselves uh, instigate it. Um, that, you know, they, they decide for some reason that they want to be seen. And I don't know exactly why they would do that in most cases. Uh, I've always said, you know, when I'm going on a hike through the woods, I'm not trying to prove to every squirrel and rabbit that humans exist you know <laughs> I, i'm not really beating the bushes and trying to make myself known to them yeah i mean most fish and in, in the ocean have no idea that humans exist and so I, I don't know why that ordinarily these beings would would want us to know they exist or even care about how we feel in that regard uh and if they ever do then it might be a bad scenario. It might be harvest time or something like that, and then we'll yeah. realize, oh, okay, that's what this was about. We were just being harvested, the whole <laughs> being set up for the harvest. So, um, it you know, I can see why that uh, it's a risky uh, business, and if we can keep it on the the, the lowdown, we probably should. But uh, gosh, you can't help but be a curious person and just want to know the truth. Yeah. yeah. And and who's one, to go ahead? Uh, one scenario that I think would probably be the best, like. Um, so there's a theory that aliens already walk among us looking like human. Um, yeah. So best scenario, if they really wanted to introduce and they had probably um, good intentions when it comes to the human race and every single piece of life on Earth, would be to continue walking Earth as if they were human still and slowly introducing the higher technologies and um from the inside out yeah almost like oh i look what i invented but yet they had the technology for like the last hundred years um but slowly introducing slight changes that would go pretty much unnoticeable to well they just look like they just look like their advances in technology oh look well this was just the next building block on what we've been building and then oh look there's a new blood type yeah and just like different like phases yeah well yeah i mean and i think uh, and then they fully come out and be like hey we've been with you for the last uh, 
so, I don't know, 5,000 years. So. <laughs> but, but in technology, I mean, that's an, inter- that's an interesting way to look at, you know, technology and what we consider, in, you know, important to us as a society when it comes to advancing technology. Um, you know, wonder, what if it is this idea, Josh? I mean, just, just to get your thoughts on it, too. Uh, what if it is this idea where simply, well, hey, you know, we've been working in the lab and we figured out another way to make this, make our smartphone, make, you know, do the dishes for us now. It can, we, our smoke, smartphones can do our dishes for us. Uh, we figured this out. I would love a uh, dishwasher that came with an app. That's a start. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's one idea. Uh, but I'm wondering. Pointless, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I wonder if it is this idea. Maybe, maybe this is going on right now. I mean, what Sarah alluded to. Here. My maybe, refrigerator has an app. Maybe this is maybe <laughs> this is what is going on here right now. Is we do have people beings. I hate to call them aliens over and over again, uh, but we. we Maybe these people or these beings are implanted in our society as we speak now, and they're and they're working their influence on our technology. I mean, that's an that's an interesting thought. I mean, what do you think about that, Josh? Well, sure. You know, it goes back to what we were saying about men in black possibly already being here from maybe even another species at another time yeah, that yeah. are sort of trying to blend in. It could also be that um, the ultimate highest power in the universe is just a big computer and that um, this is all a computer simulation matrix style and that these machines around us and the sort of electronic symmetry that we see throughout the universe um, are just expressions of that giant computer that we're living in. Mm -hmm. I mean it is amazing when you start looking at the design of the universe to see uh, all, all the consistency all the patterns, all the symmetry, all of these ratios that play out again and again. I mean, numbers play a very integral role to the way the entire universe uh, functions and can be measured. And Correct. so, uh, it, programming. It, it, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it could very well be that we are just, uh, uh, we are nothing more than sort of self aware. Uh, computer programs in this sort of ever-changing experience that uh, we call reality. Yeah, totally. What do you have coming? You know, it's the beginning of the year here, Josh. What do you have coming up in 2019? You obviously had a very busy 2018. What do you have in the horizon for 2019? Yeah, well, I am uh, working on a number of television projects, but I'm most excited about the experiments that I'm doing. And, uh, in fact, here's a topic for our, our next conversation when oh, we do yeah. another one of these shows. Absolutely. Um, I created a, an, a field of study called parasymatics. And parasymatics is based upon taking cymatics, which is passing tones through different substances like water and sand in order to create these undulating patterns, and then inserting messages into those tones in order to create a particular symbol or sigil which can then be scanned with lasers and infrared light and ultraviolet light and turned into an image that operates almost like a magical sigil. And uh, I know this is pretty far out there, but I I started doing research, um, I guess it's probably now that we're in 2019, I guess I probably started this in 2017, 
And um, if you want to learn more about this, I've got it on my website. But I just now have created a rig that I've been experimenting with along with my time machine work. With uh, with a Parasymatics 2.0, and what that means is I can take now pictures of anything you've got: the Great Pyramids, Stonehenge, a crop circle, a DNA double helix, a water molecule, a star system. I can take a picture, put it into this special system I developed, scan it, take the light, the laser light from my scan, put it into a photoreceptor that turns that into a tone, which I can then feed into a computer, and I can sit there and I can listen to the tone that an image of anything that I put into the system plays. And so for the first time, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the sound that all these different types of images make, and which is just fascinating to me. I'm going to be releasing some of these soon, and may, I'll come back on and play some of them for yeah, you. Yeah, I'd love to hear these. Talk. Yeah. And I then I'm to taking this those podcast that he did um, for Parasymatics, and it was very interesting. Um, and I love how you were actually able to take the image from the water um, in in the podcast you actually mentioned that you had your wife draw them yeah i photographed them and then i gave them to her and i said sit down and pull out the most prominent parts and let's make this into a simple looking illustration she's great with that oh yeah i actually pulled up the uh the drawings and they're very interesting symbols um that the water had made for that um, I'm actually looking forward to trying them because I know you mentioned that on your podcast that there are people that you know around you that are trying these and have been sending you messages back. So I actually kind of want to play with these and see what happens. Oh That's yeah, I got a I got an email. I've I've actually posted this on my website. If you if you go to my homepage at uh, joshuapwarren.com and you scroll down to the parasymatics section, there's a link that'll take you to the latest ones and the latest updates. I got a guy who who we have one for uh, attracting money and abundance, and he said he took one of these to the casino in his pocket. And he won over ten thousand dollars, and he <laughs> sent me a picture of it of the ten thousand dollar win on his uh, jackpot machine there. Let's go to the and casino. So I, <laughs> yeah, and so I posted it on the website, and every single day I get at least one email from somebody who has had success using one of those sigils, and some of them are to attract paranormal experiences, uh, enhanced dreams. Um, there are some for just well-being. There are some for pet protection. I mean, people send me suggestions, and I say, sure, I'll make one. It's, it's all free. You know, I'm not charging anything. It's all just a big free experiment, so you can go to my website. Yep, joshuapwarren.com. Yeah, and uh, when you type it in, there's no period after the P, and uh, just go there and, and – the complete instructions are there to work with these parasymatic sigils. And so I'm going to have even more of those available soon. And uh, you're also going to have the opportunity to hear, again, some of those tones from some of these famous mystical sites and sort of just strange connections that the the, yeah. the, bio, the bounds of reality have. Ghostly talk! <laughs>